Uh, hello everyone and welcome to the second mini episode of Balquell's books. This is very exciting for everyone. Uh, I've decided the full episodes will be monthly. They'll come out on the last day <clears throat> of each month, which means that uh, that's just how it's going to be. So I thought I'd do another mini episode this month because why the heck not? And uh, I'm here today to talk about Frederick Nietzsche, which uh, I mean, is a fairly common person for people to talk about. But I was reading The Gay Science by Frederick Nietzsche recently. And uh, well, it's very difficult to talk about Nietzsche as a whole because of his sort of many contradictions or they sort of well, he, he, he sort of defies any attempt at systematization. Um, but I did want to talk about this book. This is uh, one of his earlier, of his uh, sort of major books. I'm not a Nietzsche expert, but I've read a few, a few of his books. And so uh, I've gotten some sort of idea for this man's character. And that is sort of what I want to talk about here is Nietzsche's Nietzsche's character, because Nietzsche, he, he's very interesting because he's incredibly unique, you know, as a person. Like, you get a very strong sense of character and personality from his books, but at the same time, he also, you know, is able to connect to a lot of different people, not a lot of different sorts of people, and uh, people are able to take away a lot of different things from his ideas. People are able to extrapolate his ideas to very different ends. And uh, I think that that's sort of uh, powerful. I don't think that's a fault of his. I think that's almost a uh, uh, an intentional to the way he writes. And I think what makes Nietzsche someone that people can connect to and sort of em empathize with or sympathize with or something like that is he, he very much seems to come at philosophy from a more artistic point of view. And there are many different ways people come at philosophy, but there are certainly philosophers who are a lot more logical or scientific, analytical. Um, I mean, you can look at someone like Kant, who Nietzsche jokes about a lot. Um, someone who's very interested in making philosophy into a scientific pursuit and uh, all that comes with that. Whereas Nietzsche is definitely just a uh, a guy who... who uh, feels th certain things emotionally you know he, he wants to talk emotionally and uh, that's why there's so much sort of enthusiasm in his writing you know it's really coming from somewhere deep inside it's not the rational uh, it's not a very rational way of thinking but it uh, speaks to some sort of truth you know inside of him and I think another uh uh, emotional philosopher who takes a very different gambit and probably, I mean, exists in a different sort of time and, and, and everything, but Schopenhauer, who Nietzsche, Nietzsche uh, hates a lot in a very hilarious manner, is also very emotional. But he um, takes his sort of pessimistic and bitter outlook on the world and tries to systematize it in his uh, works, you know, the the world as will and representation, uh, 
he tries to explain in logical terms why the world sucks, like why it sucks to be alive and um, what you need to do to be able to survive in this world uh, and not feel quite as much pain as he does all the time. And uh, I feel like Nietzsche looks at that and he says, you know, there are two paths here. You can either try to deny the world, you know, okay, so you're you're sad and you're angry and bitter. You can deny the world like Schopenhauer does, or you can sort of embrace it in this strange manner that uh, Nietzsche chooses to. And I think part of this power, or this sort of ties into another power of yours, which is turning weaknesses into strengths. And I feel that a lot reading the gay science, that there are certain aspects of Nietzsche's own personality that um, at times he does not appreciate. But when he sits down to write, he tries um, intentionally to make them great, you know, to say, actually, it's, it's the best that I'm this way because it allows me to do this and that. And uh, everyone who thinks this way sucks, um, they're completely misguided and all this. And I definitely feel that sometimes when I write in a personal manner that uh, there are certain aspects of myself that I that I don't like. And uh, many times during the day I think, dang it, I wish I wasn't like this. But when I sit to write down, uh, something sort of comes over me, you know, and I uh, see the benefits of all these different parts of myself. And I, you know, try to present them as strengths, as if they're they're really great. And uh, Nietzsche does that so convincingly that you almost feel like he's someone who's, you know, very happy and and um, not uh, weird and insecure, which I feel that he he, he might have been. And he, he he does this to such an extent that he sort of. Uh, invents dichotomies of people, invents different classes of people. And there are types of people that he approves of and types of people that he doesn't. And there's sort of strong-willed people and there's weak-willed people. And um, at least in this book, definitely get the sense that the sort of strength he's referring to isn't like physical or or military strength or anything like that, but it's... uh, this ability to reconcile one's emotional and intellectual sides into a sort of joy, a joyful science, you may say, a, a gay science. This ability to think uh, intellectually deeply and also feel deeply, um, which are often at odds, but find a way to use your see it's not it's funny because when i try to talk about this i what i wanted to say was use your intellect to explain your emotions or even use your emotions to um strengthen your intellectual ideas or something but it's when you say it like that when you start from one or the other you end up uh prioritizing one of the other so you 
you end up being, you know, like David Hume says, um, the reason is a slave to the passions, you know, <clears throat> where it's like our reason is just explaining uh, what we want to think um, emotionally. But I don't think Nietzsche necessarily sees it that way. He sees them connected in a more sort of, uh, I guess, a yin and yang sort of manner. And so the, the strong people are the poets and the artists and the philosophers who are attuned to sort of nature and natural knowledge of the world, who understand the way the world works, but are also able to feel the extremes of passion. And so it's not about feeling happy or feeling good all the time, because in order to feel good and happy all the time, or that's impossible, but in order to feel truly happy and truly joyous, one has to also be capable of feeling just extreme despair, you know. And I think Nietzsche definitely understands what both of those feelings are like. And um, it's almost being, like, we might even consider this sort of emotionally unhinged, you know, to be uh, going back and forth from these levels. Um, to these extremes, I mean, and uh, when we think about people like the Stoics, who Nietzsche comments on often <clears throat> in this book, uh, Marcus Aurelius or something, you know, it's all about getting to the middle, you know, you're just going to sit in this calm middle ground, you're not going to get too angry, you're not going to get too happy, but you want to be reasonable, and being reasonable means um, keeping your emotions at bay. And um, Nietzsche would argue that to be like this isn't to be maximally human, I suppose, is one way to put it. That to try to control yourself, um, you've already screwed up when you're trying to control yourself. You should embrace yourself. And I think this is something that speaks to a lot of people. I mean, you see a lot of self-help books or, or whatever say these sorts of things that you have to embrace your individuality act according to your nature and such forth um, but then they will give you strict rules on how to do so and like how to maximally be your individual self by following these 12 steps or whatever whereas Nietzsche leaves it a lot more ambiguous and he says you've got to be yourself and I can't tell you how because uh, I can only be myself you know but I'm going to be myself as extremely as I possibly can. And hopefully by looking at that and reading that, um, something will come of it. Nietzsche does not seem concerned necessarily with solving the problems that he sees in the world. The problems to do with religion, the problems to do with uh, the structure of society or the, the mindset of uh regular people. He sees himself as a sort of vanguard for the future. And he has this belief that um, by asking these questions, by generating these sort of discussions, by exposing people to these new ideas and this new way of thinking, that they will become uh, you know, it's like how the current generation grew up with computers. Now they just know how to use a computer. But you're, you know, the 40-year-olds or whatever, 
might not know how to use a computer, and when they try to learn, it won't come naturally. So he's almost trying to create this new generation where they grow up in this world of uh, questioning, in this world of the death of God, in this world of trying to reconcile the emotional and rational parts of uh, philosophy, and that over the course of years, you know, a new type of person will emerge that um, is able to break free from whatever constraints that we currently have on ourselves. Nietzsche can't quite do it. You know, he's still stuck where he is, but he's trying to release this new generation. And you can definitely see that this generation did, in fact, come to exist. That if you look at uh, German writers in the early 20th century, uh, for example, you can read Damien by Hermann Hesse. The uh, example or the symbol he uses, the image he uses in that book is the bird breaking free from the shell. I mean, that book is all about um, this new generation coming into being. Of, um, and he references Nietzsche specifically in the book of people feeling that they have been liberated from the old ways of thinking and that they're now on the lookout for a new way of being. They're trying to figure out how to embrace themselves in the way Nietzsche sort of commanded and try to figure out how, um, where that leads them to because Nietzsche doesn't necessarily tell them, you know, he doesn't say where it leads. Um, part of the reason why Nietzsche is so ambiguous and interpreted in so many different ways is that he introduces ideas, but he very, it's, infrequently carries them out or extrapolates them to a conclusion and when he does he often will take the same idea and extrapolate it to an entirely different conclusion somewhere later so he is the sort of thinker that inspires people because they see that what he's done is unfinished and they can see that maybe even the way he wanted to view it um and the way they want to extrapolate it are different. And um, so they're inspired to find their own meaning in, in what he's saying. And that doesn't mean that what he's saying is meaningless. It doesn't mean that he's just a blank slate for people to project themselves onto. It's because of the things he does and the things he intentionally does not do that um, provokes um, or uh, encourages this sort of reading. And we can see the ways that this influences uh, people today. Because right now you look around and the ideas of Nietzsche don't actually seem as radical as, as they did at the time. I mean, things like the um, proclaiming the death of God, you know, saying that people no longer live in fear of this authoritative figure, I guess, this is an authoritative concept of a god that we need. Nowadays, you see that, that that's definitely true. I mean, atheism is almost the default in the Western world. Or, I mean, maybe it is the default at this point. When you meet someone, you're almost going to assume that they don't believe in God. So Nietzsche would say that this generation has been liberated from that oppressive constraint, whether that is true. I mean, whether this liberation is good 
or whether it's uh, catastrophic, I guess it, it's up to uh, anyone to, to interpret. And some people really hate the future that Nietzsche foresees because uh, uh, it's destructive and it's uh, chaotic and uncomfortable. Um, Nietzsche doesn't like comfort. He thinks people who live for comfort aren't truly living at all. And yet, despite the sort of antagonistic attitude, the sort of destructive nature of his philosophy, I, I also see in this book quite a lot of uh, sympathy sneaking through, and it, it almost feels at times like an accident. Because it almost feels at times that Nietzsche is arguing with himself. I mean, he's so full of contradictions, and he's so pulled forward um, by his ideas that sometimes, sometimes he leads himself somewhere, and then he turns around and says, ah, I don't, I don't really want to be here. There's certain moments where he will be making a comparison between two types of people or two ways of thinking. He'll say, this is the strong type and this is the weak type. And then at the end, he'll say, well, maybe the weak type is after all. I mean, they have certain, maybe this weak type of thinking or the type of thinking that I called weak at the beginning is actually a good in, in these sorts of circumstances. And maybe it's not so terrible to be that way after all. And these sort of come through at times, and then there are other times where it's definitely a lot more uh, hammer-on-the-nail, sort of straight-up, I guess, derogatory towards certain attitudes. One concept that is very important to Nietzsche when it comes to criticizing other ways of thinking is health, and he is searching for a healthy way of thinking, and it by healthy, he means one will that will encourage um, uh, the life force, I guess, of the person. And I, this emphasis on health is one way in which Nietzsche uh, is associated with certain uh, so racial science or white nationalism and things like this, because definitely the metaphor of the nation as an organism that needs to preserve its health by not allowing um, disease or parasites inside of it was used by Hitler and, and others to justify uh, certain beliefs and, and certain actions. And it's easy to see how this metaphor of health can be used in this way. Nietzsche, it's, it's important to note, doesn't use it that way in this book. Uh, his idea about health is, you know, when we're speaking of that generation before, this generation that is going to be uh, almost immune, you know, like a, a bacteria that becomes immune to certain diseases, this new generation will be immune to the doubt and will have a strength of will and a strength of intellect and philosophy that will allow them to thrive as human beings more than the generation uh, that Nietzsche is living in. That's sort of the the hope, you know. It's almost like a vaccine, <laughs> you know, the, the books he's writing. And when he criticizes other views and other philosophers, he often relates it to health. And 
we'll say that this is the product of someone who is physiologically weak and that this position comes from a position of weakness and try to preserve um, oneself, trying to survive, but not as a thriving survivor, but someone who survives by maybe living off of others or things like that. And and as I say this, it, it it's very obvious, you know, the, the racial science um, association, you know, and so it's, and I, I'm not sure if that's because of the history that we have, that we make these associations, that we've seen this history and these attitudes in action, and we see them in action, you know, right now, or if it is a logical or sort of inherent aspect of this uh, emphasis on health when it comes to philosophy. It, it, it's hard for me to say because obviously you could also argue from a natural science perspective that diversity is key to health when it comes to an organism and when we think about evolution that uh, genetic diversity is vital for uh, life at all you know what i mean so there are many different ways you can take this analogy nietzsche uses it in fairly innocuous ways mostly just to criticize people in in this book at least and um he uses it to say like you know this philosopher um had this sort of weakness in his body or this sort of weakness in his mind that caused him to uh want to express these ideas and maybe causes others to want to follow these ideas and so health is a very important aspect and you know modern medicine uh was you know booming in the 19th century in terms of like uh technological development or uh intellectual development in medicine so it, it makes a lot of sense why this sort of concept um would be at the forefront of Nietzsche's mind as as he's thinking and writing. Uh, but it's not only in this uh, health perspective that Nietzsche chooses to criticize other philosophers. He does like to uh, attack other philosophers, and he does so in a very humorous fashion. And definitely, if you've read a lot of the people that he's talking about and if you agree with them it's way funnier i mean he he talks a lot of um he he references kant quite often and i love kant i think kant is great um kant is is, is pretty incredible to me in a lot of ways but what nietzsche says here is that basically what kant has done is intellectualize the christian folk wisdom the things that any christian peasant could tell you and he has couched it in analytical and intellectual language and then sold it back to intellectuals so they can believe what they already would have believed if they hadn't done any of this. And, there, you know, there's a grain of truth there. Obviously, it's not the whole truth, but there's uh, certainly something funny to that. And this this attitude of, um, I guess, chastisement, um, he, this sort of ironical tone and his very enthusiastic and, and passionate way of writing definitely pulls you in. You know, I disagree with Nietzsche on like a billion million different things, 
but when I read it, you know, you get this sort of emanation of, of power and also of feeling, you know, when he is um, enthusiastic and when he is happy, you, you really feel that and you read it and um, it comes through in the writing, even if the ideas are totally, you know, wacko, you know, and even if in a normal situation, I'd, I'd look at this and say, definitely, I would not want to act the way he is um, saying I should. But there is something, you know, uniquely appealing about the way he uh, expresses himself. And I think um, as, a, as a writer, for sure, Nietzsche is, is worth reading. Definitely worth reading quite critically. Um, and it can be difficult, you know, not to fall under his persuasion. You know, he just has that, uh, you know, mastery of, of rhetoric that can make you fall into it, especially younger people, I think. But uh, I don't think there's as much harm in Nietzsche as some people might claim for there to be. Um, he's definitely not uh, like a Nazi or anything like that. I mean, this book is quite critical of anti-Semitism, very critical of, of Germany. Certainly no hint of nationalism or, or or that sort of thing he's a very independent minded person and to him i don't think it matters if someone is german or whatnot it's about the mindset that they're taking into the world whether they're re willing to live their life on their own terms you know and sort of break free from constraint and embrace their themselves you know so it it, it it's quite an quite an interesting book, you know. There's quite a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. I I would recommend people, of all the philosophers you can read, Nietzsche's is a an easy guy to read, you know. He brings you along. He has that artistic quality where you're sucked in by the personality. I mean nowadays. So much writing is, it, and I mean, so much of the art and media out there is, is personality focused. You know, it's all about bringing the artist's personality to the forefront so that we can engage with it. Because we like people. We like people that we can sort of see as a human being with strengths, with weaknesses, with emotions that make sense and emotions that, that don't make sense and um, trying to connect that with how we feel and connect that with what we're doing. And so I think Nietzsche really connects with people nowadays, and you could almost say that he's ahead of his time, even though he is also of his time. You know, that's the beauty about time, you know, is you can be of your time and ahead of your time at the same time because uh, being ahead of your time is still being part of your time, if, if you know what I mean. That probably doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't think I have anything else more to say about that. Just wanted to make a short episode about this guy. I don't know if you... You ever heard of this guy? Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Uh, maybe you heard of him. Maybe you haven't. Well, now you have. Uh, that's the mini episode of the show. Uh, let me know if that's, uh, 
this was a good episode or not. Because, uh, I mean, how am I supposed to know? You know what I mean? How am I supposed to know? I just sit here. Anyway, next episode, it's going to be a big full episode on December 31st, 2022. And I won't tell you what book it's about because I it's it's more amusing to me for it to be a surprise. Yeah, you probably haven't read it. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and then I'm going to be doing more fun stuff uh, in the future. Uh, and that's just going to be that. And uh, if you don't want me to do that, too bad. Anyway, uh, uh, this is the part where I uh, advertise. Advertise? I mentioned my website, belquill.substack.com. That's my website. Um, I post essays there every other Thursday. I post essays. And you can also subscribe there and you'll get notified when essays or when new podcast episodes go up and all that stuff. And I have a YouTube channel that is called Balkwell, and uh, there's stuff that goes on there too. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. Subscribe to the show on all the, or one of the many places you can do so. And uh, I have an email address, and I forgot what it is. Let me take a look. Uh, Balkwellbooks at gmail.com Balkwellbooks at gmail.com Send me an email, god dang it. Uh, if you don't know how to spell it, it's spelled the same way as the name of the podcast, except there's no S. It's just Balkwell Books, not Balkwell's Books, because I thought it would be confusing because there's no apostrophe in email addresses. Uh, so that's all there is to that. Goodbye. Uh, see you later.